people of the interwebs um sorry we haven't uploaded in a while that's my bad uh, i'll take full responsibility on that one uh, my name is brandon noel if this is the first time you're you're tuning in on with us uh this is the bookies we are a book club podcast where once a month a group of friends sit down and and discuss a particular work its strengths its weaknesses uh it's all fun um and uh this Halloween, this this creepy October, uh, we are reading uh, Screwtape Letters. But before we dive into C.S. Lewis's um, Screwtape Letters, um, I just want to say, hey, I'm going to be at the Comic Fest in uh, Palm Springs on October 28th. If you're going to be out there, it's going to be a great show. Um... And then after that, in November, uh, 18, no, uh, November 11th and 12th is the Palm Springs Comic Con. I'm going to be down there. It's going to be a fun show. Um, and uh, yeah, follow follow uh, me on uh, Twitter and Instagram to keep track of all the dates and Inktober and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Inktober is a time where artists do ink drawings all month all the month of October myself and Wayne Abraham participate in inktober um, so uh, thank you um, also uh, want to shout out to our, our uh, patreon sponsor uh, Samantha Espinoza these kinds of things would not be possible without the support of uh, fine patrons like yourself Um we will be retooling the Patreon, um, and uh, yeah, please please check out uh, Patreon. It, you can look it up under Brandon Noel or uh, Destiny Comics, um, and and just thank you. Um, I know there's more stuff I'm supposed to say. I'm having a hard time remembering. Uh, that's why I should write these things down. Um, but if I can, we're going to try to upload two episodes uh, this month. Uh, October is Banned Book Month. It is a period where we, as a society of book readers, talk about the things that we're not allowed to talk about. And uh, we did an entire episode devoted to banned books and why the idea of banned books is really a bad idea. So we're going to try to get that episode out to you this month as well um, for Banned Book Month. And, um, you know... Yeah, a lot of good things going on. Uh, look up the bookies. If this is your first episode, look up the bookies on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash bookies. And uh, we post a lot of literary theme things there, um, as well as a list of all our podcasts. And so thank you. Thank you for your time. I, I do want to say thank you to everyone who listens and downloads. We check the downloads fairly regularly. 
and I am impressed. Uh, this month we broke over a thousand downloads for just a little podcast. That's incredible. So I just want to say thank you and uh, everyone who's out there is listening. Um, we will get better about uploading. I take full responsibility for the last couple of months. Uh, stuff started popping up in the day job, and then on top of it, I was doing a lot more conventions last couple of months. So, um, but this worked out. We have a, a horror, a dark, spooky episode for the month of October. Uh, thank you, and uh, keep reading. Oh, and past this point, there be spoilers. Just because I was like, okay, this is so dense. <laughs> but John, John Cleese was a lifesaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can say that about John Cleese at any time. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's go ahead and start. Uh, we'll go around the table and say who we are for so listeners can know our names. Uh, I'm Brandon Noel. Wayne Abraham. David McFarland. Justin Stallard. Bonnie Stallard. Maylene Noel. And uh, we are the bookies. This uh, month we sat down and we read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, this book has been um, on the since day one, since our very first episode. What happened was when we had an earlier system where we went around and voted, and then we subsided with that because of too many ties, and uh, now we pick books out of a hat. And I went back and we wrote down every book that had been requested or talked about from previous segments. So that's how this book ended up in the hat. Like it was the put, TARDIS. The, the TARDIS. TARDIS, yes. The non trademark TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> um, the what? Yeah. Because podcasts are a visual medium, we have a cookie, uh, uh, cookie jar. Cookie jar TARDIS that we put all the names of the books in. Um, Wayne, you were the one who suggested this ep- this book all the way back in episode one, if you remember that. Yeah, well, we, we thought it was you. you. Was it me? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure it was Wayne. Because I'm pretty sure he suggested something else. The following is from episode one, Pyramids. I, I just been mulling over a variety of uh, books, and uh, I was thinking uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Ooh, I do not know that one. Uh, it's it's um, the Screw Tape is kind of like a senior a senior demon, and he has a nephew named Wormwood, and Wormwood is out on his first assignment, 
and the person that he is shadowing um, makes friends with someone who belongs to the enemy and is starting to kind of listen to them and head that direction. So Wormwood is writing his uncle and saying, uh, how do I prevent this from happening? You know, uh-oh, this and this and this has happened. And, and so Screwtape is writing back to his nephew and giving him advice on how to redirect and hold on to the person that he is supervising. It is a and you suggested Screwtape Letters. Oh. Well, That's what I, I said, but one of you two. One of the two of you. It's one of your faults. <laughs> one You're the one I should kick. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Screwtape Letters, basically it is a uh, series of letters written from uh, the perspective of a demon writing to his younger cousin, uncle, or yeah, nephew-cousin nephew, relationship nephew, uncle, and uh, we are only given his side of things. Luckily, Screwtape recaps, so we get the full conversation, but it is a series of letters written from one demon to another. Um, so yeah, that's basically the plot. There is a, a, a plot about we get the events of a man's life told through Basically, his nephew is trying is a lesser de demon who's trying to tempt this guy and keep him, you know, from becoming a Christian. And that and so throughout the story, you get the man's progress. Mm -hmm. from referred to as yeah. patient. And, and, yeah, uh, referred to as a patient. Yes. Wormwood is also uh, uh, the the patient is also Wormwood's first. Yeah, it's very so first. Because he's fresh out of Temptation Academy or something and like so, that. And uh, so Screwtape is trying to teach him how to keep the guy on one path and not another and going into Christianity. And so anytime, yeah, anytime Wormwood screws up, he kind of yells at him. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, well, go ahead. All right, well, we'll go around like we normally do, talk about our favorite parts. Um... I have to say the part I enjoyed the absolute most um, and really got into was the uh, it wasn't involved it wasn't in everyone's collection mm -hmm. but uh, the end of the story was the epilogue or edition screw tapes proposes a toast which actually would be chronologically first well no it takes place some years after yeah it takes place some years after because I thought he was. I know C.S. Lewis wrote it after, <coughs> but I thought chronologically, as far as it should plotline, plot it line. sounded like it was his toast at his nephew's graduation. Is what it sounds like. That's what it it should be, but mm -hmm. his nephew never comes up. True. And I think they talk about a couple of events like the Cold War in the. Okay. Yeah. That so yeah. It, yeah. It, it takes place some years after, but I think it should have. It should have been a prequel. If I was writing a film adaptation, that's where you start. Mm -hmm. Yes, with the graduation, have his nephew be in there. Yeah, yeah. that's that's where you start. But it's um, it, it, it's so beautifully put because it, a it's nothing like any of the other letters. <laughs> it's him very much more verbose. It's him. You know, oh my fines! You know, you know, and he, he rags on 
on the quality of sinners mm-hmm. that are available, and it's just it's how tasteless and insipid mm-hmm. they are. <laughs> yes. If only we had had a Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that was one of the lines he said. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so well done. Like I can see that. I can visualize that. Uh, one of the other things about that was, at least in my edition, mm-hmm. there's a break because it's the what are the thirty two letters or whatever it was. Because my book was thirty four chapters, mm-hmm. so it was whatever the letters were, and then there's a letter written by C.S. Lewis who breaks character, hmm. and he says. For some time, I've wanted to revisit this character. I've wanted to revisit Screwtape, but never felt anything was appropriate enough to write another letter. It was he just completely breaks breaks character and says, whenever the post you know came to me, and they said, well, would you like to revisit Screwtape? And that's when he came up with the idea of the the toast, right. Um, but he says the reason why is because just sitting down and writing as a demon, he said it really did wreak havoc on himself psychologically. Mm-hmm. It's a very short letter, but it it really impacts kind of what he did with the letters, like sitting down and trying to pretend to be a demon for mm-hmm. however long it took him to write the the, the first collection of letters. Which was a while because they were were serialized. Serialized, yeah. So I really appreciated that in my collection, because it's different volumes of different things like that, that letter of him explaining to the reader, like, just C.S. Lewis breaking character. Like, this was hard for me. Yeah, it's just him talking. And he says a better way to go about this, he even admits it, was if there was other letters from the angels' perspectives. Mm. He goes, however, I as a human am not angelic enough to do that feat. He goes, that feat I save for a writer better than I. I remember hearing about that. So, like, I just, like, the this, the letter of C.S. Lewis breaking character was probably what really impacted me and what I really enjoyed most, most about it, which the, wasn't in our copy. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't mine. It was yours, yeah. Um, that I really just I loved. Ours but just has the letters. Ours didn't have the uh, epilogue either. Mine had but, epilogue. Pardon me. Wayne shared it with us because he has it on his yeah. computer. Yeah, I got the letters. He read it just the other night. He was over in a PDF the file, night. and I got the uh, screw tape proposes a toast as a second. PDF file, and since I knew their book didn't have it, I read it to them. It was longer than I remembered, so I was I was kind of remembering it being about the length of two letters, and it ended up taking me about forty minutes to read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but uh, I had a cup of water by me, and <laughs> so it was not a problem. Oh. It's not the longest time I've read aloud. <coughs> Longest longest time I think was from seven p.m. to seven a.m. and read an entire novel out loud. Dreamy Rising by Catherine Kurtz. You're a better man than I, <laughs> uh, because your laptop is up. You're gonna have to speak a little harder, uh, a little louder. Oh, okay. Just just letting you know, because your levels are coming okay, in a little. Okay, so low. Wayne. Oh, sorry. Are we good? Yeah, I'm done. Wayne. What were your favorite 
Uh, one chapter that that stood out to me was um, chapter eleven, um, where he's he's talking about uh, you know he's he's glad to hear that everything's going well with his with his. Uh, Net, uh, nephew, because he's got some new friends in here, and they're the right type of friends, you know, steady, consistent scoffers and worldlings without any spectacular crimes, progressing quietly toward our father's house. He says, You speak of their being great laughers. And he says, I hope this doesn't mean you're under the impression that laughter is in our favor. And then he goes on to explain the causes of human laughter, breaks them into joy fun, the joke proper, and flippancy. And then defines what all of those are. And I just really enjoyed his breakdown of, of laughter and the causes of that. That uh, you know, you don't you don't want him to do joy because joy is like that detestable art humans call music. And like something like it occurs in heaven, you know. And uh, laughter of this kind doesn't do us any good. Discouraging. Yeah. The only thing worse, he said, uh, music and silence were the, the two worst things, uh, or something like that. Was yes. Prefers the noise. Prefers oh. the noise over prefers music the and noise silence. Of hell. Yes. <clears throat> and he says, fun's closely related to joy. It rises from the play instinct. Sometimes we can tweak it, but it's too close. And then he discusses the joke proper, which turns on a sudden perception of incongruity. He says it's more promising. Body humor, off-color jokes don't necessarily work just because they're like that. You've got two classes of people. One class, they work with. The other class, they don't. So he, he opts for flippancy as what is really best for us because uh, uh, flippancy is best of all because it's economical. Only a clever human can make a real joke about virtue or indeed anything else. Any of them can be trained to talk as if virtue is funny. But among flippant people, the joke's always assumed to have been made. Nobody actually makes it. Everybody just sits around smugly going, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so he, he said that. But one of the things that, that he specified in here, like cruelty is shameful unless the cruel man can represent it as a practical joke. A thousand body or even blasphemous jokes do not help towards a man's damnation so much as his discovery that almost anything he wants to do can be done not only without the disapproval, but with the admiration of his fellows, if only it can be treated as a joke. So he says, uh, this temptation can be almost entirely hidden from your patient by that English seriousness about humor. (laughs) Any suggestion that there might be too much of it can be represented to him as puritanical or as betraying a lack of humor. Hmm. I guess that must be puritanical. <laughs> so I, I just I I enjoyed that that bit of dissertation and breaking down what causes laughter and 
and how you can a man can take any type of behavior that normally people wouldn't put up with and if he can pull it off as a joke everybody applauds it yeah there, there's a lot of that because I well this is getting off topic a little bit but um, we're doing a, a comic book and I did a little research on classic jokes from vaudevillian era mm-hmm. and there's a joke that is so vile so disgusting that there's a documentary about it called the um, Aristocats the Aristocrats Correct. The aristocrats. And it is one of the most worst, disgusting jokes ever composed by man. And it, it works very similar like that. Like you can get away with anything as long as it's posed as a joke. Which, by the way, I still stand that that's not even a joke. I <laughs> it's, it's bad. It, it's, it, it's the kind of thing where I don't even see... Like, you know how some jokes, even if they're bad, you can see why it, it, it's... Why it would be considered a joke? Because it's a punchline. You know, like, right. okay, you might not like the joke, but I always I argue with Brandon all the time. I said, that's not even a punchline. Like, well, we're not going to tell it here, but I argue with him all the time. It's not a punchline. It's not a punchline. <laughs> like, there's no way. It's not a punchline. <laughs> you know? And he's like, so we've had the argument back and forth. It's not even, It's I can't even see how it's funny. Anyway, sorry, going off topic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, kind of, the, you said punchline. Kind of the punchline to the habit of flippancy he says it builds an armor plating against the enemy, uh, and it's quite free from the dangers inherent in other sources of laughter. It's a thousand miles away from joy. It deadens instead of sharpening the intellect, and it excites no affection between those who practice it. So it doesn't cause any bonding, and you know it, it deadens your thinking instead of sharpening it like joy does. Flippancy. Flippancy. Well, well. Right. So that was the thing I liked, Dave. Dave, was there anything you liked about this book at all? <clears throat> um, yeah, I'll be nice. I'd like, chap- I'd like chapter 22. Yep. Chapter 22. Chapter 22 where he fell in love in the worst kind <laughs> that he could have fallen into. And... Uh, his uncle Screwtape was so upset with the girl that I have looked up the girl's dossier and I'm horrified of what I find. Not only a Christian, but such a Christian, a vile, sneaking, sippering, demure, monosyllabic, mouse-like, water, insignificant, virginal, <laughs> bread and butter miss. Little brute. She makes me vomit. Yeah, I mean, he went on and on and on to the point where he got so mad at himself that he inadvertently turned himself into a centipede by accident. That's right, that's right, yeah. In the heat of composition, I find that I have inadvertently allowed myself to assume a form of large centipede. I'm accordingly dictating the rest of to my secretary. <laughs> makes me think of... Um, uh, finding Nemo, the pufferfish, we just puffed yeah. up. Like. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to say where, because it seems like throughout the book, he was pretty serious about everything, and this was the only chapter where he kind of like lost his self-control. He had fun with the concept of writing a demon. Yeah, he lost, he lost his self-control, and, and that was the, the part that I liked about the book. Mm. Well... Me, I liked that particular part as well. Um, he just kind of, especially with the the portion where I the I I, li- I listened to this part on 
on uh, YouTube and John Cleese was uh, reading it. Oh, so nice. he was very uh, animated. Very animated, yes. That's the rest of the right word for it, vocally. Um, but also, I, I liked in the book, there's uh, little bits here and there where you could tell where his nephew had reported what uh, Screwtape had written to him and Screwtape was uh, like under investigation and and so there's these little bits back and forth even though you don't get Wormwood's view of it you know Screwtape says well uh, that that Oh, I forgot. You know what I said about your principal or dean or your yeah, you know that that was, was that was meant to be pure uh, jo- yeah, joculation. Mm. I, I forget what the the demon's name was, but he showed that demon mugwort or something. Mugwort, yeah. slob slob. I believe he comes back in the toast at the end. Yes, yeah. he does. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. It, you know that, that that little bit there, you know, where he's getting himself in trouble, and he tells his his nephew to please keep these letters under lock and key because they can get this, get not only you but me in trouble and uh, all in all it it was a well written st- they were very well written mm-hmm. although hard to read <laughs> but after that, that that was my favorite letter and that's what I have here it's letter 19 and the whole letter is him like he's like I've been, I've been thinking very hard about, you know, the question in your last letter. And, you know, if I've shown, you know, if I said anything, you know, the, the, and he's talking about the Enneagram's idea of love. Because he, what he stated was, um, he's, he's telling his nephew, you know, you know, the idea of love is a contradiction of terms. Because what he stated previously in some of his things is that he really loves the humans. He's like, well, what, what I meant by that is we don't know why. He obviously gets something from it mm-hmm. because, you know, they don't understand love and all that. But, um, and he's like, the truth is, I slipped by mere carelessness into saying that the enemy really loves the humans. That, of course, is an impossibility. You know, he's one being. They are distinct from him. They, um, their good cannot be his. All his talk about love must be a disguise for something else, you know. And, and he, he, he's like, you know, basically, he's like, I didn't mean to slip into stating heresy, you know. Mm-hmm. Basically, because it's against, you know, love is, is completely against everything that they as demons stand for. And, and it even goes, I, <laughs> I love the part, he's like, actually, members of his faction, meaning, you know, like angels, um, have frequently admitted that if, we, if ever we came to understand what he means by love, the war would be over and we should re-enter heaven. And there lies the great task. We know that he cannot really love. Nobody can. It doesn't make sense. If we could only find out what he's really up to. You know, and he's talking about how the fact that they've spent all this data and there's been rich reward for researchers and uh, who make progress and more and more terrible punishments for those who fail and, and eventually we'll find out what he's really up to, you know. Um, I love that. And then it, it goes back to that later when he's talking about the girl that he likes now, her whole family, her whole household um, reek of this thing that they can't understand, this mystery sh- thing that kind of keeps them from, they can't even get in to find out why. Why does it say, it's... It, it, it says even even the the dog and cat are tainted with it. The house and a house full of the impenetrable mystery they call it. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we know that that would be the love that he they so don't think is is possible. Um, but there's some great okay. It, it is difficult reading, but some at times. But there are some really great one-liners here and there. There's some really interesting thoughts. 
um, like this, all mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. This is elementary. You know, it's just one line thrown in there that I'm like, oh, interesting, you know. And I also happen to love, love, love the last letter. <laughs> Where he's pretty much just, you know, oh, of course I loved you. Just the same way you loved me. What, you know. Um, over. Yeah. Um, how mistakenly, now that all is lost, you come whimpering to me to ask whether my terms are affection for which I address you meant nothing from the beginning. Far from it. Rest assured my love for you and your love for me are as like as two peas. So in other words, yeah, they loathed each other. They both wanted to get at each other, you know. Um, it's just no, but he, he truly does love, love his him. nephew. He loves how he's going to taste as he feasts upon Exactly, him. and that's exactly what he's talking about. But but I think out of all of them, though, it was because my favorite was that letter 19. <laughs> favorite was that letter 19 where he's like backpedaling well, you know, I didn't mean this, and I didn't mean that, and you need yeah, to you keep need your to mouth freaking shut, kid, because otherwise... That's where the, the nephew told on it. Uh-huh, I know, and it's mentioned in a couple of their letters here and there, like little things. He's like, well, just so you know, what you happen to say is all taken care of on my end. Yeah. <laughs> no worries there, <laughs> you little nephew, you, you know. Um, so... Yeah, there's some. Why, yes, as dainty a morsel as I ever grew fat on. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Maylene. Well, like you said, I think my favorite part was some of the one liners in mm-hmm. there. Like, there's, I think my favorite one, because when he's talking about how he's got to keep his patient focused on the future. Mm-hmm. Not the past or the present. And he has that line that says, Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, love, and ambition look ahead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can see how, like, at first I was a bit like, what? But then he explains that, like, in the past, we've got these memories and they're solid, they're mm-hmm. unchangeable from now on, you know? And then, and, you know, and you remember all the things that people have done for you, you know, the good things, you know, whatever. And then in the present, you know, it, you're, you're in the moment. You're, you know, one of the things that comes in the moment is the love you currently feel for people. Mm-hmm. But in the future, it's all about ambition and climbing the corporate ladder or whatever it is you're, you're aiming for. In the future, you're, you have goals, you've got aims, you got things you want to do, and that can cause anxiety and fear because, oh, what if this doesn't work out? What if, you know, what if... You know, I fail at whatever this venture is. Ooh, and then that causes the person to worry. And worry keeps, you know, you from all these things like prayer and stuff. So, you know, of course you want your person to be thinking of the future and being anxious and all that stuff. So, uh, like I said, some of those lines uh, I really enjoyed. And in chapter 20, I have right here, chapter 26, he talks about uh, unselfishness and how... You know, in a way, you kind of want that fake selflessness to mm-hmm. kind of, oh, no, if you don't want to go do this, we don't have to do this. And that's like a fake thing because you're trying to make that person feel guilty for changing everybody else's mind, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, there's a very, there's a line there that made me think of um, Henry Higgins from uh, My Fair Lady when, I said, when he talked about them not, uh, doing, not doing what either one of them want to do. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, and I was like, oh, that's very, you know, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, like that line. Just <laughs> watch that video. In a way, you could uh, almost think of these letters as individual little 
little sermons. Yeah. Because it, uh, if you look at it from a, a Christian or religious standpoint, the, uh, the it's, they're it's describing things to steer away from. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and stuff. Well, that, that's what it is. I mean, it's done yeah. for a satirical yeah. bent, which makes this a satirical masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt about that. Masterpiece. I, I, I would say that. There's, there's qualms with it and issues, but, um, you know, like when you look at something like Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. his other writings like this, that is just yeah. flat out sermons. Mm hmm. That's really hard to get through. Yes. I have tried on multiple occasions, never gotten through it. Um, but, like, I would put this in the same vein as mere Christianity. Like, this is theology. It is. Yeah. I went to a Christian university. Paid extra for private university, you know, kind of thing. I mean, it's accredited and everything. It's yeah, a very yeah, good yeah. university. But... There's lots of theology classes, and one of the classes that is considered either a theology class or an English class is a C.S. Lewis class. <laughs> and you take a class, and you read a bunch of C.S. Lewis books, and you discuss them, and you talk about them, and you're graded on your input in the discussion and all that kind of stuff. And and I have to say that all of, the, of, all of his books, the Narnia books are the only easy ones to read, mm-hmm. or, or, or the easiest anyway, you know. Um, even his sci-fi book, Space Trilogy. The Space Trilogy, is wordy. I own all three. When we were in Northern California several years ago, and we made a adventure of going to several used bookstores, and we mm, we fun. hunted down, we got all three of them fairly cheaply too, because I think nice. we got the second one for fifty cents. Something like that. Um, every penny. Every penny. Uh, Never got through the first one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, made, I made it. I made it through the first one. Okay, I really, really enjoyed the second one. The third one, I started six times before <laughs> I got past page eighty. <laughs> oh, wow! Because it's it's about it's about this newlywed couple. He's a college professor. He's just got a job at a new college. And so they have moved to an entirely new town. She doesn't have any friends in the area. Oh, I think I've heard you talk about this before. And she's bored. And he writes her boredom so effectively that as the reader, I became bored and could not <laughs> read any further. And yet in that first 80 pages, there are newspaper headlines that she glances at in passing or thing uh, broadcast on the radio that she overhears a portion of passing through a room or something like that. They aren't things that she's focused on per se, but they turn out being setting up key elements of the story down the line. And then after page 80, I finally broke past that and about you know, 120 or so, the storyline took off, and I had no problem reading the book from that point, but it took me six tries to get yeah. past page 80 in that third book. Does Which means I wouldn't get page 10. There's actually a few books I've read that like that. that I started, but, and it was like, oh, you have to get to page 100, oh, you have to get to page X, X, Y, and I'm like, that's so far off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to the negative stuff, Wait, I'm not done yet. Oh, sorry. sorry go I ahead. have one more. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I just like the part where he talks about how all truly wicked men have at least one virtue. 
You know, yes. like Attila the Hun, he was brave, you know, how uh, Shylock had self-denial, you know, and if you think about it, like, yeah, a lot of wicked men have that one defining virtue, you know. That's true, because he even says, we cannot manufacture them. We cannot, yeah. no matter how hard we try, we cannot create a brave man. Yeah. You know, and he, he, they did, he talked about how, like, Attila the Hun would not have been the Hun without his bravery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. About the negativity, I think we can all just agree that it's a little wordy. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, wordy. <laughs> That's putting it one way. <laughs> I, I, I think it's not so much wordy as I've, I've read other books where the author is verbose and uses a lot of words. Tolkien. First five hundred pages or so of Lord that's, of the Rings. That's one uh, I never got to. That's an interesting thing. I never ran into that problem with Lord of the Rings. But no, those first few I think chapters. I will continue to watch the movies. Not read I never them. ran into that but You have to understand. He is a professor at Oxford University. Mm-hmm. No wonder it was about that. Explains <laughs> a lot. That was his job. Tolkien right. was also was I think Tolkien was they, a professor. They were professor well. at the same university. They, they were professors at the same university, and they were they were close friends. But you're looking at a guy who has, you know, the equivalent today of what we would call a doctorate degree. He's writing this. I I have a cousin who won a full academic scholarship to Harvard University. And he now teaches economics at George Washington University. And he has written several books. And he always made a point of giving my my parents a copy, an autographed copy of his book. And uh, what I, I think he's written one since then, but I remember, you know, this one book, you know, after, you know, later on, I remember picking it up and reading the preface. And every word in the preface is a word in the English language. Every word in the preface are words that I have heard before. The majority of them are words that... I even know the meaning of the word. But I read the entire preface and at the end of it had no clue and could not tell you <laughs> what the book was about. Yeah. Okay? Ow. <laughs> so that's someone at a doctorate level college professor writing. I think it's... The ideas are just so much, and math is not my forte for starters, and the ideas were just so much above where my brain operates, I had no idea what he was talking about, even though I could read every, I could have sat there and read it to you, you know, as if I had read the thing about 20 times, and just gone through and read it to you, and I don't know if you would have understood any more than me by the time I was done with this. I think it's a similar type thing here with with Lewis is his writing levels are up high enough 
that isn't even in the same galaxy. <laughs> that it makes it challenging to read. I did want to take a moment because you mentioned uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. This book is dedicated to J.R.R. Tolkien. It says to J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. And I mean, they were great friends, and they created the the Inklets together. Inklings. 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 And I just think it's kind of interesting that these two guys. Um, uh, well, Tolkien was was he religious? Was he? I don't know enough. I meant to look this up, but. Um, I don't know. I guess because I'm just curious that th- why is this one dedicated to him versus something else? But yes, he, yes, mm. he was. I, mean, I don't remember. I mean, he was Christian. Whether he was Protestant, Catholic, whatever. I don't well, know. Because C.S. Lewis started off as an atheist. He did. Yes. Yeah. And one of his books is called God in the Dock, being uh, the, in British terminology, that's. God on trial. Okay, in the dock means he's standing in the docket. He's on trial. He's and because he went out to prove that God didn't exist, and in the process of trying to prove that God didn't exist, was converted to Christianity because he couldn't prove it. <laughs> it was interesting. So, but again, it's just as wordy as this, if not more so. Mm. So while they have very interesting and fascinating and, and poignant at times, quite poignant commentary on society, on humanity, on Christianity or the lack thereof, whatever, morals, you know, all of those things. It's a level of writing that is not It's not common. accessible. It's, no, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like when you need necessary. But you have to look at their time and place and situation, that's how they all wrote to each other. They write letters like this to mm-hmm. each other. This yeah. is how they're normal letters. Like, if I'm going to send you a message on Facebook, it's not going to sound like this. But if they were going to send one, that's how it would sound. Because <laughs> that's how they wrote, that's how they spoke. See, this is, this is how I see it. That The language in this book, you had to learn that. Yes. And for you to learn that type of language, you're going to have to be going to the, the colleges mm-hmm. that this guy went to. Mm-hmm. So I call, I, I consider this to be a rich man's language. Maybe, your, I don't know. Your average person is not going to understand it, like what you were saying in, in the preface of the other book. And absolutely, without the audiobook it reading to me, this book was pure gibberish to me. Mm-hmm. And I... I just don't understand how or why the guy would write it such a way to where probably half the population wouldn't even understand what the hell he's talking about. Well, he made a living off of that because when you look at mere Christianity, he tells you up front, you're not going to understand this. Then I'd close the book and put it back on the shelf. <laughs> right, right. What's but the point of buying it if no one can understand he it? He was writing to... A certain he, demographic. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was writing to... College people, well, good, I, good for them. You know, I can see both sides of it. I mean, on the one hand, he is, like you said, writing to college people, mm-hmm. and I think in That's a way, why the Narnia books are easier because those were meant as children. Say, but in a way, at the same time, <laughs> well, I if, think I, if that gives me a child mentality, then fine, I'll be happy with that. I don't want to be grown up in intellect. And <laughs> <laughs> need a translator just well, to understand well, what you're at saying. At the same time, at the same, like I understand. Like I think that kind of gives them a sense of not elitism, but kind of gives them a limited pool of people who can read it and understand mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, like you said, 
people are writing each other like this all the time. It's like Shakespeare. People think today think you have to be a genius to understand Shakespeare, but he didn't write it that way. He yeah. wrote the way they, the way they spoke. You know, and you have to remember that first of all, he, he, this isn't American. No, no, that's British. Right. Of course, okay, it's British from 1942. Right. Yeah. American phraseology from 1942 is foreign to us now. Mm. There are things that that were slang that everybody knew back then. When you look at some of those things, you go, "What the heck are they talking about?" <laughs> oh, that meant their shoes. They're, really? Because that's you didn't say shoes. You could just say shoes. You didn't okay. say sandals. <laughs> you didn't even say the things on my feet. You called them dogs. I'm looking for a four-legged creature <laughs> or something in a bun you eat. I don't know mm. what shoes. You know. Things like that, like just whatever. But there, you know, things that that we don't use that terminology Dogs now. Are, are your feet, not the shoes. Hence the brand of shoes called hush puppies. They're comfortable. They quiet your barking dogs. Oh, okay. Yeah. But see, out of six people, one person knew that. But what I but what I'm saying yes, it, it's like it's like looking at the King James version of the Bible. When it was translated, that's how they spoke. People look at it now and go, "Thee, thou, the son of that." Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever. But that was that was actually written in the language that of the everyday spoke. person. That was yeah. to make it available time. to everyone. Like and we look at it like Shakespeare, and we look well, at it now and go, "The heck are they talking about?" The, the key to we understanding need a modern translation. The key to understanding Shakespeare is knowing how to spot the dirty jokes. <laughs> that, is, that is the key to understanding. Well, also, I like the book How to Insinuate, Insult, and Something Else in in Shakespearean or Shakespeare. Well, yeah. there, there's a great, a great book, book called yeah. Filthy Shakespeare. Oh, uh, nice. That just goes. These are the dirty jokes. Play through play. These are the dirty jokes. <laughs> this is what they meant. I think what they probably do is they say, okay, joke about... I never would have gotten that far. They say jokes <laughs> about the penis, and it's like all the references to, you know, that particular... Yeah. Mean. But like I was going to try and say earlier, I was kind of trying to bring it around, is the fact that, you know, like I said, Shakespeare wrote for everybody, and, you know, he, he obviously didn't write for everybody, C.S. Lewis, but, you know, he wrote Thank for a specific... God. For a specific uh, group of people who, at the time, would have understood this a mm-hmm. lot better than we do, anyway. Yeah, or most of us do. Because he was writing to theologians. Yeah. yeah. Theologians and people of a certain education, education level. level. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think, I think that brings in a sense no, of. There's scholarships. Yeah, the, not some. I don't, scholarships. Even then, there were scholarships. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to say elitism, but a, a little bit. Of, mm-hmm. Like. Compassity a little bit. Like oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. From this level on up, you guys, this is for you, and you guys, sorry, you're out of luck. Oh, <laughs> you know, also, I'm under the table. <laughs> <laughs> also, this might be help, more helpful, but you mentioned they were serialized. Mm-hmm. Yes. It might have been easier to read this one well, letter. One at a time yeah. over they the course of many months. You had a month to digest the letters. So this came out for what? The course of two years? Two yeah, years? Uh, yeah. yeah, they were serialized once a month. About two and a half years. It was a pulp. Yeah, yeah, it was a pulp. That's actually <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. You know, so you could read it and absolutely. read it again and go, well, what's he trying to say? Discuss it. And you know, and go to so, the pastor and go. What do you think about this, Reverend So and So? You know. So I don't think it was meant to be taken in all at once, which unfortunately we had to do because it's a book club. But you know, right. I don't think the letters were meant to be taken. You know, just they, read through them at one time. You know? What I found interesting is you can go online and find entire study programs based around this book. 
mm-hmm. you know they're they're and they're you know some of the programs that, that it, where you do one you, you, mm-hmm. you do one letter a week and it takes you thir- you know 31 32 weeks which I do. think that's kind of the downside like I, for me the downside of this is the fact that you can't binge read it you no. got no, it, it's can't. not meant for binge reading which again we kind of had to do if I hadn't already read this because I, yeah. I I did take like I said I took a CS Lewis class mm-hmm. but even before I read it before I took that class um, my freshman year of college some of the students on campus got together they may have been theology students. They may have been in the C.S. Lewis class at the time. I don't know. But they did a reader's theater version of this where they had a couple different people, um, one on either side of the, the platform. They did it in one of the smaller chapels, mm-hmm. so it just has a smaller stage. But they had a couple people who had, you know, they had their, their little letters laid out in front of them, and they took turns reading them so nobody's voice got to and done at your sore or whatever. And then they had a couple people acting out you know, kind of mime, not like as interpretive, but you know, but 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 a pantomime of sorts. What was going on mm-hmm. at the time? And there was a whole lot of the guy standing there thinking and stuff like that, while the guy being the demon is looking at him and trying to nudge him one way or nudge him another way or go, oh look at that girl walking by or you know things like that. But there was something visual while you're listening to it being read. And yeah. so it was. Yeah, it was a lot easier to understand, and I, I really enjoyed there's, that. There's a lot of that on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. I found where there were a lot of interpretive things and theatrical type readings of it. I, I would love to see this. Like I saw a screw tape, almost like a um, an animated like de- like um, like a Ralph Bashke cartoon. Like I saw yeah. this, this big bulbous. You know, creature, but yeah. so I guess you know, you could say uh, again, and it, give it, it to Tim Burton, we get something <laughs> right, right? But again, I know I've made this reference, and maybe not everyone else sees it, but again, I can see another drawing from him to Shakespeare and the fact that it's probably better acted out, you know, than just reading right. it. And it is, and you know, I mean, you know, it's like I said, the, it's. It's not nothing against the book itself. It's just I don't think it's something that you can binge read because then you you're compounded with all this stuff. Like, what did he just say? What did he just say? What was that? Wait, hold on, I have to think about this because you know I think it's the thing that it has to be serialized. You can't read it all at once because then you just feel. I mean, at least I don't know about you guys, but I felt overwhelmed at points. Oh, oh my like, brain hurts. Yeah. I had to exercise. Yeah. Yeah. That that was yeah. my oh, main, uh, that was my main <laughs> complaint. I did it a couple times. Yeah. yeah, I did find out though that. It was a lot easier to read when I was buzzed. <laughs> Make it a drinking game. Get a few beers in you. No, because like on last 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 week, or it was like Monday or Tuesday, the the day when I asked you if you read it on audio. Yes, yeah. That's when I came home with a twelve pack, <laughs> and I just started drinking it. And then I'm going, wow, I could, un- it is being read to me. <laughs> I just started to follow. I mean, it took, like, me a month. It, it took me a month to read 14 chapters. It's, yeah. it's a very thin book. Like it's oh, yeah, of- it's not thick at all. And yeah. we don't have, like this, we just have the, the letters. Mm-hmm. It's with, it's with just the letters, no epilogue and no C.S. Lewis's letter. It's 85 pages. I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah. 
It's a novella, you yeah. know, yeah. in length. But but it took me it took me a month mm-hmm. to read fourteen chapters. Yeah. It and took me three days in audio. <laughs> That's right. And a twelve pack. A twelve pack <laughs> and John Cleese. John, 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 John Cleese was definitely the savior. I mean, I'm not really good at audiobooks. Like I said, I tend to like fade out I don't when people like, reading. I don't like people reading to me, but I, I just I had to. But I wanted uh, to be able to I wanted to be able to say that I actually finished this monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, if I had known John Cleese did a version before a couple days ago, I would have like Yes, sign me up. That was, I need was cool. He, I mean, yeah. he acted the part while he was reading it. Send me, send me the link because we'll post it's on that. YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. You can actually it's just type YouTube. in the Screw Tape Letters yeah, audio. Tape letters audio, right on YouTube. When, when this episode goes live, we'll put that up the on the link. Face, yeah, they need the, the link in there. Because, yeah. because mm-hmm. honestly. And it does it. Uh, in, uh, each video is an individual letter. There so are a couple chapters missing. Yeah. Though. Oh, 23 okay. through 25. No, I found all those. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So you have so to look, like a random but, one missing, like number But we might want to also put in the month before to say, okay, if you have a hard time reading this, go on YouTube, look at John Cleese. Yeah. Uh, have him read it to you. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the cover of Screwtape Letters done by Marvel Comics. Okay. okay. Nice. Okay. Sorry, I can't quite see it. Pass it around. Pass it around. Oh, very nice. Hmm. Yeah, Marvel. Yeah, you, you can you can get it. <laughs> That's uh, great. I think twelve bucks. You can pick the thing up. Marvel did a series of classic literature, um, like back in the early two thousands and uh, late nineties. I didn't know they had done Screw Tape. I know they had done Moby Dick, and I know that they had done um, uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice in Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. Like the the Pride and Prejudice are thick. Like you can kill a man <laughs> with the Marvel adaptation <laughs> of um, add that to the arsenal. <laughs> yeah. So um, with with that said, I think we we hounded the the verbage. Um, Wayne, is there any negatives that you want to go bring up individually? Um. Not really. Uh, you know, other than if the language was challenging. Yeah, that's you know, I mean that that's the one. Uh, this is the third time I've read them. The second time I read them, I had a class in it at the same college that Bonnie went to. <laughs> with the Just same teacher, by the way, Dad. With the same teacher. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It's a long so time teaching. Yeah, well, he was younger when my dad. Well, my dad I figured yeah. by about twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> I figured he wasn't like a hundred when. Yeah. Well, he was. Well, all college no. professors become immortal. That's yes. what happens when you get your tenure. Yeah, yes, that's what happens. <laughs> There's a picture that goes up had, somewhere. I actually had several. <laughs> I had several college professors that he had when he went there. So. And I actually now. I graduated in 1980. My dad graduated in 1955. But I actually had one class that I took from a professor that my dad had. That's really cool. And and it was it was it was it was fun. It was interesting. And I told my dad, "Yeah, I'm taking this class from this professor." He goes, "He was one of my professors." <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, I the first time I don't remember where I heard of it or how I came across it, but I came across it and uh, read it. Read it, and I don't remember if it was high school or early on in college because I took the class about halfway through college but I had read it before then and then I read it in the class uh, and then read it this time so well this is my second time reading it but my very first like I said before I ever even read it I saw the performance of it mm. which See, I, I, made I, it more I interesting never had the performance and never had a uh, John Cleese reading it aloud <laughs> for me. Uh, I just read it, you know. But, but then when I was in high school, I read the English translation of The Divine Comedy by Dante as well, just because I wanted to. <laughs> and that's not, that's not your typical reading. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, I was reading it in ninth grade reading level in sixth grade and I just kept going up from there so for me this is probably less challenging than it is for the rest of you that's fair is it, uh, Dave is there anything you want to hit on in addition to some Perfect. of the, uh, <laughs> little, uh, the points we already kind of made I think I'm, I'm just kind of happy that everyone had problems with the book. I, was, I, I thought that I was the only one. Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, just going, oh, no. you, you were a little harsh on it in the, the chat, so I mean... Because um, he was so frustrated. Yeah, yeah, the book is definitely frustrated because, yeah, the, the, the English level is, is way above my head. Mm. Like, like leaps and bounds. If I would have known it to be this way, I probably would have said, no, I'm not gonna, even going to read it. Just set this one out. Yeah, I would have sat this one out. I mean, mm. but I'm I'm glad that I read through it because now that I could actually say that I read it and actually give an opinion because I actually read it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's always the best part. Even if it's a horrible book, you know, I mean, you're like, I've got an opinion now on this book. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. want to say the book was horrible. I'm just saying that I disliked it because of my education level. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I was at Wayne's reading level, that I probably would have understood and appreciated it more. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying that any of us really hated it, really. I didn't really hate yeah. it. Yeah, um, I, interesting I, I was, concept. I was, I was frustrated. I think, well, like, I was thinking like Maze Runner. Like, you know, that, those yeah, no, we didn't hate it like we hated Maze Runner. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not saying I would rather have read Maze Runner. Okay. In French, okay. <laughs> with Japanese subtitles. <laughs> wow, reading a book with subtitles. That's I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seems a bit oh, it's it's a parallel. <laughs> that's how much I don't want to read this book again. Yeah. So that way we won't make well, you. Well, generally you only read a book once anyway. So I've read a book twice. One. One book. Yeah. Yeah. One book twice. But, this, but oh. this this was the first book where I actually had to have it read to me. I mean, and, and this is completely different than mommy and daddy reading you bedtime stories to make you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this is the very first one, and uh, it, it, I, it helped, but I still didn't like I just don't like people reading to me. Just I want to read like slower or faster, and they're going fast or slower. They're the complete opposite. And I just, you, you don't get the time to absorb it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And John Cleese, I liked it because it, it, he, he was kind of like acting it out. 
that's what I liked about it. As, as somebody who's dyslexic, like Wayne talked about having an advanced reading level, I'm somebody who had a lower reading level. I was I'm low as well. I was in the sixth grade, and I had a second grade reading level. I so probably, I, I don't want to say I'm, um, I was that low, because I didn't have any, I didn't have your dyslexia, but it was just none of my interest. I mean, I wanted to go outside and play. No, that's fair. But my, my point was... I got through a lot of my books younger because of books on tape. Like, that's the wheelhouse I live in. You know, I go through most of their books on book club through audiobooks because it's the only way I can get through a novel in a month. You know? So, like, it just, it, I understand your frustrations with having to resort to an audiobook, but at the same time, when you get a good reader, Makes all the difference. Oh, it definitely did, or else I probably wouldn't have finished it because yeah. there were there was another audio on there, and I was just listening to it, and the guy just sounded so bland. I go, no, I don't want this. And then I didn't even know who John Cleese was. Oh, my friend, we will. Yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> you watched James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I have. He's he plays he, he Q plays in one of the uh, yeah. several of, of yeah. the. Uh, well, I mean, I I recognize I recognize the actor, but I don't recognize names oh, okay. I just, because I just don't care no, about R, the names. Who comes after Q? And remember, that was I like I like John Cleese's his his reading of it. We'll see because if we can't give you a copy of Faulty Towers. <laughs> <laughs> you would like that. And other, other than that, everyone else's complaint, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about the book. Not, not anything specific. I mean, I, I probably would have liked to have read um, Wormwood's story. Yeah, which he never does. He yeah, doesn't I have mean, that. It's one side. Yeah, I think I'd rather have read Wormwood's version of the story and then read Screwtape's reply after that. Yeah, if you got both the full side. Yeah. nice, yeah. You don't feel as it, lost. It felt like, yeah, it felt, it felt like, like mm-hmm. okay, I'm in the You're dark about something. You're and what what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I think I probably would have understood the book better if you would have got... If it would have been a story. Yeah, if, if you would have got two sides storyline. of the version. Because yeah. it just feels like I, I opened up someone's drawer and was opening up and reading their letters. and like, what the hell is this crap about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least they were in chronological order, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's about the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's it, oh, as it. far as, yeah. Uh, Justin, did you have any... Um, uh, no, not really. I just I had a hard time reading it, like most everybody else did. And, um, you know, I probably only have maybe 8th grade or 10th grade reading level myself. Yeah, that's about the same thing. And... Uh, I, I, I was surprised, though, for me, because, you know, when I, I was homeschooled for a time, my grandpa thought that I should know how to read Chaucer and things like that in the Old English. So for a while there, I, I, I was pretty good at reading stuff like this. But, uh, but that's I, Old English. That was before this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to say... Uh, this, was, this was newfangled English. This was, <laughs> I have to say it, it was definitely uh, more of a challenge than I, than I thought it would be. You know, that and, um, uh, you know, those muscles atrophy. Yes, they do. I, yeah. haven't, I haven't read any of that stuff in uh, a I, I did Shakespeare plays yearly for, I think, nine or ten years. If I were to sit down and read something that I wasn't super familiar with, 
Yeah. I would probably have some problems. <laughs> De- definitely a perishable skill. Kind of like um, learning a second language. They say if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with different reading levels. The you know. advantage that I had with Shakespeare is being a, mi- being a minister's son, I grew up with the King James Bible. That's fair, yeah. And... The King James Bible, that translation, is around the same time, give or take, as Shakespeare. So the word usage and stuff is the same. So because of my familiarity with King James Version of the Bible, because that's what I grew up on. I mean, I was still using that in high school. Yeah, I grew up on that too. To go to sleep bag. (laughs) Oh, yes. Dad, Dad had it on tape. Little, the little forty-five records. He had these torture. stacks of books about this thick. With Alexander Scorby was the guy reading it. And he had this deep reading voice, and it wasn't very interesting. And it was kind of more of a monotone. And he read. You to sleep describing. He read the entire the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, and my dad had all of those on 45 albums. And but we had them on cassette tape by the time we were there. By the time you were there. I, I was in sixth grade, okay? I'm in junior high. I'm old enough, I don't need a nap. My sister's a couple years younger than me, and our grandparents decided, because we were living with them, that we needed to go take a nap. Well, I don't want to take a nap. Go lay down in your bed, I'm going to play with He would get out, like, the... Oh, my God. Numbers, like the book of Numbers, was the long genealogy. Oh, uh, so and so and so, who begat so and so, who begat so and so, who begat so and so. Even if I wasn't tired, I was so bored. I was asleep. I was done. <laughs> it was awful. It was torture. <laughs> I'd rather sleep than put up with this. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> so, because we couldn't get out of our beds, so we had to stay in our beds and be quiet and listen to that. Mm. Even if we didn't sleep. Well, of course I'm going to fall asleep. That was boring. Yeah. <laughs> I would have taken the tape out and broke it first, and then we just sleep. Uh, yeah. That would wrath of Grandpa. No thanks. It's okay. Tape still be broken. <laughs> <laughs> just fine. So will <laughs> their butts. Bonnie, you have any No, no, not really. No, but it, yeah, I have to say, just a little side note, it was neat like, a couple days ago, you know, because Justin had also been working and not getting anywhere. Yeah. For weeks, I mean, he he kept trying to read the first one, and he'd get halfway through and fall asleep. I even took it to work. He took it mm-hmm. to work. He fell asleep sitting up and almost fell out of a chair on his lunch break at work because he couldn't get through this first the I, first letter. I got over there last week. Yeah, he came over a couple power, nights, yeah, and a couple you know, nights because it's when my power was off and my house was too cold. Yeah, it's all on fixed now, but no, yeah. Fixed, yeah. <laughs> I, I got power now, but I'm no longer powerless. But I was over there, and, and Justin is like, I said, "So where are you? I still haven't finished the first letter." And this is like this is like <laughs> last letter. this was last weekend, so this is like a, a little about it's a week just, ago. Yeah, and so I said, "He's okay. like, I've been trying all month to get through the first letter. Said, <laughs> you were ahead of him, okay, Dave. Get, get the let's get the book out." <coughs> Okay. I'll read it to you, and you follow along in your book. And I have to say that helped. That helped. And then he found John Cleese, and we were good. So but, he, I um, read in the first nine <laughs> chapters, and then he found John Cleese to finish yeah, it up on his he own. He saved him, just like you saved you. Mm-hmm. But um, what I was going to say was, it was really neat, because he'd gone through the first nine chapters with Dad, and then uh, one day at work. So he's about halfway, maybe. Maybe not even quite halfway. 
maybe a third of the way through the through the book, and he's like, you know, this this if you think about it, it's a sermon. It's just backwards, you know. And because it was it was the realization that this is really just one really long sermon. It's just done. It, it's like it's like using um, almost like reverse psychology. Yeah, like using reverse psychology on a kid. You know, <laughs> well, yes, go ahead and steal that. You know, thing or what? You know, it's the reverse side. So that you know, and it was just he had that realization. He's like, if you look at it that way, and I was just you know because because I'd already read it, so I already knew that that's what it was. But I hadn't reread it. I only did that this week as well to you know go back through it because it'd been a while since I read it. So. You know, but it was just—it was neat for him to to come up and I'm like, okay, good. You know, at least at least he's enjoying it enough to to be able to. He's finally being able to get into it, uh, having it read to him. Um, you know, and be able to 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 have an opinion and he'd comment on things that he, you know, oh, and this one he turned into a centipede. You know, some of those things. And so so it was nice to know that that even though he struggled with it just like you did, that that got well, to the point where he was like able to that, enjoy it a little bit. Chapter, it kind of. Hit the the language level just went for a little bit, like yeah. Because he yeah. got mad. Because yeah, he, got, he mad. got mad and lost his formality. For yeah, that. yeah. And then I'm, whoa, well, there we go. There's a moment of clarity. I can understand this one. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, no real negatives about it. No. Right, no. Um, yeah, I think I have to agree with Bonnie. I mean, the story itself isn't bad. No. It's, it's a not, great concept. It's a great concept, and it's like everyone said, just the words. And I, I think I've got probably about a lower college level of reading. You know, not masters or anything that kind of level, but um, you know. So I understood a good hunk of it, but there was just it was so thick. It was like. Big word, a big knife. <laughs> exactly. It's like okay, <laughs> this tiny book needs a knife and a fork. <laughs> you know, so it's not. It's so, really some of the words were. I got. I knew quite a few of the words, but a lot of it was just okay. There are words I don't quite fully get where he's going with this. You yeah. know, you so have to, you have to rely on context. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like like Justin said, I, I had to rely on context for some of it. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is what he's saying. You know, and like I said, my only other complaint is I couldn't binge read it because that's that's how I always mark about whether I like a book or not. Like if I can't put it down. And I just, oh, I want to find out what happens next. And it's like, this one, I was like, I have no trouble putting down for a while. Yeah. I'll come back to it. Yeah. Let's put it down and nib to get up yeah, here. Yeah, I think yeah. I'll wash my dishes. Yeah, I think my dishes have never been cleaner. My dishes have never been cleaner. I think it's time for a root canal. What? Yeah. <laughs> I need to get my wisdom teeth pulled. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at the time. time what? Okay, I got to go. <laughs> um, one thing I did want to bring up negative, uh, because we talked about this, was the 1920s kind of Oh, attack. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at one point, Mormon goes on this weird sexual tangent about, like, the jazz era woman. Mm, mm-hmm, um, yeah. I forget which letter it was in. No, I, yeah. It turned into the waltz or something. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's talking about how, like, at different ages, people found, like, different types of It was shapes, a chapter on, on sexuality and how he's trying to... Basically, he, he's saying we're trying to get everyone to think... Every woman needs to think that this is how she's supposed to look and every guy is supposed to think that this is how a woman yeah. is supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And each time... And, and each... Yeah, and each... 
time period is different, right. and this is the era of the jazz. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things that it pointed out is whatever era it was in, it was the, always it was always something that was impossible to achieve at a mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. Which like, applies to today with even, your Photoshop yes, models yeah. and mm-hmm. all these girls who are being anorexic trying to look like something that doesn't even exist. And building on that, when he's talking about, because we had this conversation talking about the, the modern 20s woman, you know, when he's talking about, uh, I was like, it's crazy because when I was doing research for, like, looking costumes and stuff for Brandon's 30th birthday, um, I was, you know, looking at different, different things, and they, I found this article talking about how uh, the 20s and 30s, you know, when you liked that slim, boyish type looking figure, pencil dress, pencil dress yeah. whatever, women mm-hmm. with bigger chests would bind their boobs down mm-hmm. so right. that they could get that small, tiny look, yeah. boyish look, you know, and I was like, man, people really went to extremes to go with whatever they thought were beauty of the day, like, I don't think I could do that, like, that's yeah, well, a lot of commitment. The, the, the Chinese had a... a, a the, 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 binding the binding of the feet, of the feet. Yeah. and pe- oh. women wouldn't. I mean, they they were they crippled themselves yeah. Yeah. to the point where even if they stopped binding their feet, they were unable to walk. Yeah, and and there was that one area I forget which country where they put rings mm-hmm. on the woman's yeah. neck stretch it to stretch it out because a long neck was considered more graceful mm-hmm. and beautiful. And yeah, if they took the rings but out, if they, they, they die. Could, they could die because mm-hmm. they can't hold up their neck anymore yeah. because it's been stretched out and the muscles can't hold it up and yeah. stuff and it like yeah. like to the point where people yeah. are but know. look at all the okay well, so we don't decrease the rings gradually maybe the, everything's you, already yeah but if they the, the gra- if you did gradually it might I don't know settle but you know it was like they were forced but but look at look at today where you have a couple of different extremes. You've got all the plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that any less extreme than the the binding of ancient China or things like that? No, the extreme not really. Binding, the and then you have the other side of the you know which is a subculture in and of itself of all the the body piercings and just yeah a few you know I'm not talking about yeah we're talking about like all the the the, the implants the, and stuff like yeah. the the really drastic and the, the you know all the like excessive tattooing, like the guy, the lizard guy, mm-hmm. right? Things like that. So you've got these two surgically split. Mm-hmm. And there was one woman who like got tattooed all over, so that she looked like leopard woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you look at those and and um, sorry, I just flashed on um, a, a totally different book, thinking about the the Hunger Games and how. It's like that in the capital, and how it's not really dissimilar to now. But anyway, I think the Hunger Games are in our uh, our, our box, so we may end up reading them at some point. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you look at those things. And yeah, and like yeah. there was this one woman that was like recent history, mm-hmm. where she was into corseting, where she would tighten her, you know, mm-hmm. to the point where like her stomach wasn't she, she much bigger the than that. Waist in yeah, in, in, and in record right um, like her organs have moved to facilitate. They had to shift. There's no room for them to the point where if she takes it off, she could snap in half. You know, that's mm-hmm. how extreme she's mm-hmm. gone to making herself look like with the course of hourglass body. The waist mm-hmm. training things come back, which does a little. It's like that kind uh, of bothers uh, me. Uh, <laughs> it kind of worries me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, well, you know, the whole Gibson girl look that was back. Late 1800s or early 1900s, something like that. The 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 Gibson girl, the women were having 
their floating ribs removed, removed surgically so they could get that thin cinched waist. Yeah. That's the classic Gibson girl look. That that was a, that could not be achieved without the removal of those bottom three floating ribs. Oh. Yeah. So um that's just stupid. Yeah. Uh, I did want to just throw something out there for general discussion because I, I felt this um, screw tape. I think screw tape sabotaged Wormwood <laughs> because he I would, think he gave he him lots. Yes. After he started, because uh, he at one point he'll say something like, "Don't bother me with concerns of the war. That's above your pay grade." <laughs> and in the next letter, why didn't you tell me when it concerns the the welfare of your yes, patients? Yes. So, you know. I don't want the I don't want to know about all the comings and goings in the war, but where it applies to your patient, you need to tell me. Yeah, yeah. He he. Sometimes I think he did a little bit, but you know what? I think at least at least at the beginning, he was giving him legitimate mm-hmm. help and criticism. And trying and to mentor him a bit. After he got screwed over by his nephews. When yeah, he and then he started like, to like little, little, little. little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think you, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Well, I think he realized that it was going to be him or Wormwood, and he decided, <laughs> "You're new at this, kid. <laughs> you ain't got a chance. Yeah. I'm eating you for lunch." No idea. Almost to the point where, yeah. like, you feel like he's been doing this job for so long mm-hmm. that. You know, it gives him pleasure almost to mm-hmm. do that. Like once he finds out his nephew was like, "Oh, by the way," he's like, "Oh, okay." He's a little narc. Oh, you little pansy. Okay, you fine. Fail. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay, okay. I see. I see how. This but I think he started off to do that. Mm-hmm. I think. I think like Dave. Mm-hmm. I think it progressed into that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. betrayed him. Uh huh. Well, well. But. Yeah. Right. Um, I just thought it was sad that the guy died in the war, though. I know that, I know. that was sad. That was. Um, and so sudden too. Yeah. 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 But you know, Screw Tape was telling Wormwood all along, "Don't be excited about the war. Keep your patient safe. Keep we, him alive keep him because alive. if he dies we right have, now, we're screwed. You're screwed anyway. You're screwed he if he dies right now. He told him that right up front. It says it's better to keep him safe, keep him alive, keep him going 80 years and winding up in a rest home. You have a better chance of getting gaining his soul for our father below with all of those years where he can have disillusionment and all of these things and look back on a life of where he didn't achieve this or didn't achieve that and is all depressed and you just keep tweaking here and there and with this long life, you'll have it without a lot of effort on your part. Keep him alive. Yeah. He failed. He failed. So bad. All right. As we we don't know what we're going to be reading next month, so well, I don't know. Usually you do the good, the bad, oh, and any last thoughts. Any last thoughts? Sorry, any last thoughts? Yeah, any last thought? Uh, he dedicated the book to Tolkien, yes. as you pointed out. But then he starts with two quotes at the beginning of the book. One from Luther: "The best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to texts of Scripture." is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. Mm-hmm. And one by Thomas More, the devil, the proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. 
two very similar quotes. Luther was, we're talking Martin Luther, who started the Reformation. Yes. And the founder of, of uh, Protestant Christianity. And Thomas More, who uh, was a very prominent Catholic scholar. And so he, he used, uh, you know, similar quotes from... Opposing parties. Or opposing <laughs> parties within Christianity. You know, I, I think that was kind of his way of saying, wherever you fall on the spectrum, this applies to us as Christians. You know, and the devil. here we go. We got a whole list of, of letters. Here we go. <laughs> Start reading. You know, learn from them. And I, I just, uh, I thought, I thought that was an interesting point. That you know, just the way the quotes are in there from, you know, mm-hmm. both sides, as it were. I think that is very well put. I didn't think when I heard the quotes, I didn't look at it like that. That's yeah. That's that's very well, very beautifully put. Um, so that was my other stuff okay. to add to it. The the one takeaway I told Maylene this: it was a tough read, but at the end of the day, I'm glad that I've gotten this off my book bucket list. <laughs> like it's, it's book bucket book bucket list. I have finally like I've this is my third attempt. Um, and that's partly why I love the book club because we've we've done a couple that like I can finally get this off. I finally read a dang book. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it gives me a bit of motivation to actually finish something. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I you know good bad. Um, I can cross this one off the list. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, thank you, and uh, we are the bookies. Yeah, we'll let you know our book later. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Uh, that was this month's episode of the Bookies podcast. Um, next month we will be listening or reading uh, "A Is for Alibi" by Sue Griffin, a great detective novel. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. If this is your first time listening with us, um, if if it you know, if it's not, please like, subscribe, please. Commenting on the iTunes page means a lot. It, it, it tells iTunes that, hey, people are actually listening to the, us, and it, it helps us out a lot. Um, so please like, subscribe. Um, if you're on Stitcher, I know they don't give you a, a place to comment on Stitcher, but, you know, hey, uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, all that goodness. Um, we are the Bookies Podcast, and uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next month, we will be um, reading uh, A is for Alibi by Sue Griffin, and also keep an eye out for our band book uh, episode. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. Um, hope to, to, to be better about the uploads in the future. Thank you so much, and have a great day.